Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. Uh, my name is Richard and uh, tonight's episode is going to be called Escaping from Castles, Making Games and Catching Fish. Now I know why it's called that and you will know why it's called that. And joining me this evening is a gentleman named by the name of Duncan Malloy. So, hello Duncan, how are you? I'm alright, how's it going? Very good, very good. I hope it's good with yourself. Um, you work for Osprey Publishing. I do, um, I work for Osprey Games, which is okay. uh, part of Osprey Publishing, which is now part of Bloomsbury Publishing. So I'm, uh, oh. you know, worlds within worlds within worlds. But I'm the games developer there, which is a fairly nebulous title, which basically means that <laughs> I'm in charge of all the board and card games. Which sounds like a fantastic job It's a to have. good job. It's a pretty good <laughs> job. I'm not going to lie to you. That's good. Now, <laughs> the reason that we do this, for anybody who's joining the show for the first time, and thank you for, for dropping by, is... Uh, the reason we do this is because, quite simply, there is not enough uh, podcasts about board games, and there's also not enough podcasts where it's just two guys having a good old chat. So, um, first of all, um, Duncan, do you want to explain a little bit about how you kind of got into games in the first place, got into the industry? I mean, uh, what's your first memory of, of getting hold of some cardboard? God, um... Or as we like to call it, what Monopoly strategy did you go for? So, I mean, I, I played a lot of Top Trumps when I was very small. All right. Um, particularly, there was a, the very early sets that just had a set that was just dwarves. And uh, there was like a bunch of sets of different, I don't want to say fantasy races, but like different cross-compatible fantasy sets, essentially. Okay. Myself and my cousins used to just shuffle the entire deck in together until you had a deck that was the size of about four or five sets of Munchkin. All right, okay, yeah. Uh, and just play Top Trumps. And as you know, if you've ever played Top Trumps, and you mightn't have if you're in the States, but it's essentially just a card with a list of five stats. And you, if you won the last hand, you just declare which stat that everybody's fighting with, and then everybody compares the card, and the card with the highest stat wins. Which yeah. is super, 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 super simple. Slightly twisted by the fact that one of the cards is obviously better than all of the other cards in the set, and one of the cards is obviously worse than all of the other cards in the set. Yeah. And everything else just jinks around the middle. So yeah. I could go and try and find moments of game design nuance where Top Trumps works, but I won't because it's a futile <laughs> exercise. Um, but the the really formative stuff was probably Hero Quest. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. the one that really just bedded that desire in with well, me. Well that's let's just change the subject of the podcast and let's just talk about Hero Quest for an hour because <laughs> Oh, I do love a bit of Hero Quest. My it's, history, it's... my entire history is about Hero Quest and getting into Hero Quest because that was my gateway gateway bit of cardboard, I think. Really? Yeah, when did you get, when did you get it? Did you get it when it came out? I didn't have it. I what? um I have an uncle who was about eighteen when I was born. So um when I was like right at the golden age of being impressionable, 
Yes. Uh, he, uh, well, he's my aunt's husband now, but uh, they were just out of college at the time. All right. And uh, my first experience of it was visiting them, and they had an immaculate, really beautifully painted set. And uh, he had myself and my brother, these just two kids to look after for the weekend. And he went, I know, I know a way I can distract these two kids for literally the entire weekend. And Hero Quest was cracked out and it was all laid out on the floor of this relatively small terraced house in Cork. Um, yeah. And it was just great. I'd never played anything like it. Same I mean, it, my, my main game influences come um, from all over the place, really. Sorry. I've uh, coming down with a bit of a cold, so if I sound a bit nasally, I apologise. No, that's uh, fine. That's fine. If you if you understand the way I talk, I can't. You know, you'll be fine. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, but I'd like. It's... Sorry, go on. No, you were saying that you're you know um, it helped form you know. So you played this with your uncle. You never played anything like it before. What was what struck you is that is it just so it was so completely different? Because when I played it. It was a case of you were used to a board just being like the arena where you played. You weren't used to the board with a level of interactivity that it had mm. because there was maps and there was little boulders and there was little doors and there was furniture and it was a completely... And there was a story as well. It wasn't just make as much money as you can or get to the end by rolling a five or whatever. Yeah, it, it felt alive in a way that a lot of the rest of them didn't. It felt active. And I mean, these are like really, really basic things now, but I could project onto it emotionally rather than um, having the emotion of the game be just directly dictated by interacting with the other people around the table. So I was emotionally invested in the character and the story of the character. And I mean, it's the the itch to D&D scratches without having to learn D&D, you know? Um, which, if you're coming at it at the right age, is is unmatched. You know, there's a certain level. There's it doesn't rely on a massive amount of, ma- of imagination, and the the DM themselves, yeah, could get away without being a DM. They had the screen, they had the scenarios. They didn't really need to think too much about what they were doing. Yeah. You know, they'd refer to a, they'd refer to a map that would say, "Use these creatures." Um, use this person, here's all the traps, here's where everything here's where everything was. So did you get to play it more than once? Because you said it had he painted it all up and everything. Yeah, like it was a well, beautiful right? set. Oh. Really, really gorgeous set. Um which we subsequently walked on without realising what we were doing and <gasps> snapped several of the skeletons. Yeah, it was bad it was dark time for everyone. <laughs> did he stay calm or did he, did he yeah, make a noise yeah, or honestly, did he cry I can't remember or... I don't <laughs> think like we played it again for quite a few months though which I'm is probably sure telling probably opening the box would have like left him in a flood of tears just oh, like God, looking yeah. at that skeleton because they had um, they had there was a couple of characters which they, they had slight differences it was the first time I'd seen a um, it was the first time I'd seen like a gargoyle or a balrog with a massive yeah. whip and you had like um you also had like the skeletons and there was orcs and there was was it there was um goblins, so it had the entire kind of fantasy fear that you would expect. Completely. Yeah. And it was my first major time being introduced to those tropes. Yeah. You know, which are now in anything and everything, but 
you kind of underestimate quite how good those are the first time you come across them. I mean, they're they're iconic and they're cliched for a reason, and it's because they're great and they're really compelling. Um, so being able to come across that sword and sorcery uh, without it getting too Games Workshop-y, I know it has echoes of the Games Workshop stuff, but yeah. it feels much more yeah. Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Well, it had a little. There was a little flyer inside that said, "If you like this, then consider these other yeah. kind of other games as well." But did you then? Did you get your own copy of Hero Quest after your? You know, it was you, a you long time after the fact before I got my own copy of Hero Quest. Um, yeah. I was college going age before I got my own copy of Hero Quest, but that copy was brought around and circulated quite a number of times, and we got quite a lot of play out of it. Um, to the extent that it, my brother turned 30 two or three months ago and yeah. uh, to surprise him for the weekend we were bringing him up to Oxford and told him we'd take him out but we actually just got a load of beers in a load of food in and decided we were going to play through this campaign from start to finish <laughs> the very um, first one the, 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 the whole base one the whole base campaign on a Saturday um, and it was the best crack I've had on a Saturday <laughs> in a very long time <laughs> Did you um did you get any of the expansions at all? Did you just did you ever um play? I think there was a couple. There was the against the ogre horde, and then there was the wizards of Morkar. I don't know. I can't remember. Well, although Skaven might have been advanced hero quest, um, I didn't because they he just didn't have them, um, and subsequently I haven't been able to find them for anything less than one of my kidneys. So. Um, That's uh, it's that and yeah. I mean, I've got um, I've got Hero Quest. I've got Hero Quest Advanced, which is Hero Quest, but it's got some of the um, the guards characters and the little mini soldier characters because that was very very rare. It only came out. It wasn't out that long, and then it wasn't Advanced Hero Quest, so it wasn't kind of Hero Quest moving into kind of like the almost like the Games Workshop rule yeah. set. It was kind of Hero Quest Advance, so it was using the same rules, but it had some kind of kind of um, more figures, and it had some slightly different kind of uh, qualities to that. So, did that kind of shape you, kind of moving forward? I mean, you're in call, you know, you're obviously moving into college. Did that well, start I your mean, kind of year? Yes and no. Like mm. I adore board games. Um, but that's they're not all that I'm into. Um, I'm a, a massive, massive comics nerd. Um, all right. Only, only salvaged by my own limited disposable income. Um. <laughs> so, what are you? Are you a DC? Are you a Marvel? Are you a both? Um, people, or do you pick up more of the obscure stuff? Traditionally, DC. Now, more of the obscure stuff and yeah. a bit of Marvel stuff, but. What I think, um, I think the things that have influenced my games and the games that that I've been working on and the kind of approach that I've taken to them have been much more diverse than the, at least much more diverse than just the board games I liked when I was a kid. Like I, mm. um, for years before I got into working in games, I worked in theater, right. um, and I actually got into games through game design for live events. So I've got a lot of kind of. I try to think a lot about the the way that people will sit in a room to play the game and the kind of atmosphere that the game will create in the room. Yeah. Um, and then think about 
kind of different wider influences in terms of genre or theme okay. that will affect things in interest like i played an awful lot of monkey island when i was a kid like if i'm <sighs> if i'm going to introduce comedy to a board game that's the back that's of my level. mind that yeah, i'm drawing on do you know what yeah. i mean i'm i'm like the the influences are coming from a huge number of different places and part of the uh part of the reason i love board games is part of the reason i was in theater in the first place rather than tv because i was doing a bit of writing a little a bit of what probably could charitably be called acting but wouldn't necessarily be described as that if you were in the room at the time <laughs> is there um, video is there video evidence of you treading the boards at all uh, or, or is none that... that i'm going to reference none that um, <laughs> none that still survives that you haven't managed to track down and destroy <laughs> um but i i used to do a bit of writing as well but what i what i particularly enjoyed about theater separate to tv or film was the sense of the atmosphere in a room Mm. and really what an actor's job is other than just not forgetting the lines and not knocking stuff up (laughs) is um they're kind of conducting the energy in the room so the audience comes in the audience kind of sets the tone of the atmosphere yeah and it's the actor's job to play with that atmosphere to give the audience the best experience that they can yeah yeah um and uh for me, that's the part of it that I loved. And that's why I'm in physical games now as opposed to digital games. Because yeah. I, I'm not saying that one you know, is inherently superior to the other or inferior, but the, the part of game design that interests me the most and that I'm the best at is is playing with that atmosphere and the, the bit that excites me the most is the atmosphere of a bunch of people around the same table or sitting around the same living room and, and how you can play with the energy in that room and the kind of tension and the excitement and the ways you can try to generate that to make that the best experience people can have for whatever amount of time that they've put by to play the game. Mm-hmm. So how, I mean, how did you get into, how did you get into becoming or getting involved in the likes of Osprey games I mean, so, is it a... I mean the short version of it is a job came up and I applied for it but the it's <laughs> uh, always it's always a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's the romance there folks yeah. you heard it first <laughs> um, the long version of it is I was working in um, theatre for years and I'd been slowly drifting into what's probably best described as live games. Right, okay. Um, So, not just kind of interactive plays, but uh, we had one that was almost like a live-action role-playing game, but with quite simple mechanics, and it had a zombie theme, so the idea was anybody who wasn't playing the game was a zombie who had to be avoided. All right, Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, And it was kind of riffing and lifting heavily from a whole bunch of kind of parlor games and public domain stuff um but yeah, applying yeah. a campaign system to it almost um and from that uh he moved to the uk and not long after got a job with a company called hide and seek yeah okay were amongst other things were artists in residence in the south bank um and did a bunch of 
games for live events. I did a game in Kensington Palace. I did a couple of games in Kew Gardens. Really big scale, really, really fun and exciting stuff. Um, But also had been doing some physical games for them and working on some digital stuff in the background, like level design for tablet games, kind of story design for games, that kind of thing. Um, And separate to all of that, what had paid my way through college while I was doing the drama was um, working with my dad, who ran a furniture shop. So I had quite a lot of hands-on experience of the manufacturing industry and manufacturing in the far east oh right okay yeah okay so right. there were these so you're gonna say you had a lot of experience doing furniture polishing and showing people a good sofa <laughs> well i mean a certain degree of that as well but i'm trying to keep it to the relevant bits <laughs> i'm it very very matter. good at Irrele- loading irrelevance very good as well at the moment i'm um, kind of i'm really impressed with the fact it's completely on point <laughs> so but what basically what it it meant was that i was able to go to osprey and be be kind of the the a, a, a jack of all trades to an extent um and yeah. i don't mean to self-grandise like it's i got lucky in finding them um mm. but i've been really really enjoying the job and it's been going quite well so far uh we officially launched almost exactly a year ago the end of september last year yeah and um since then we've brought out one two three four five six seven eight board or card games that's pretty good going which is an for awful a year. lot in a year yeah it's a huge amount of work um so i'm i'm a bit sleepy but that is the only <laughs> real satisfied sleepy though <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but it's been going really well and we've got a bunch of really really exciting stuff coming up for next year um that i can't wait to get into people's hands and we've brought cold it's back which yeah, like... we're going to talk about Colditz. We're definitely going to talk about Colditz. <laughs> do you, because um, I'm really, really interested in it, to be, to be perfectly honest, um, do you, is there any games that when you get home from the office that you kind of chill out with, that you kind of enjoy playing? Because as we keep on saying, board games, everybody seems to be loving a bit of board games. I think The Guardian, <laughs> The Guardian's now got its own little kind of spe- uh, specific column that it's doing on a weekly basis now. Um, is there any games that you would, you know, you'd bring out and and have a shot of? Um, there are. To be honest, I get uh, increasingly less time to play games for pleasure because of the sheer amount of prototypes that get pitched to us. Yeah, that it's just a huge amount of work of just constantly playing new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. So when I get the chance to play stuff at home, with the possible exception of Pandemic Legacy, which um, myself and my fiance are about two thirds of the way through at the moment. How far? Um, how you, how well are you doing? We have yet to lose a game, and we're on September or October. My goodness me. And it's made it it's made it so tense. We had a really, really bad run of luck in June, which made us panic and permanently made our lives difficult in a certain area of the world, and I won't get into specifics. Um (laughs) Because you don't want to spoil it, just exactly, in case yeah. you spoil it for other people. It's but, like, oh no, June comes along and all the leaves are poisonous, all yeah. of them, everywhere. If anybody goes near a leaf, then they die, basically, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but what it has, what it's given us is it's, um, it's rather than us going, oh, this is quite simple, because we've never, 
we've always won, but we've never comfortably won. Mm. Um, or at least very, very rarely. So we now desperately, desperately want to clean sweep. So rather than making the game feel less tense, it's actually making it much, much more tense whenever we're playing it. Are you um, do you are you kind of like sitting there at the box and you look across to your fiance and you're saying, Are you ready? And she's like, No. No, oh, not gonna happen. We just I'm not I'm not up for it tonight. I don't know if I can deal with the stress. Literally what will happen is we'll we'll plan it out kind uh, of probably a week or two in advance. <laughs> we'll have eaten dinner fairly early, we'll pull all of the blinds. Um open a bottle of wine and Chrissy will find the longest mix of Hans Zimmer music that she can on YouTube. All right, okay. And we'll run it out through the speakers so we're just being battered by this ridiculously (laughs) dramatic series of film scores. Um, And we'll just crack into it. And like, she's fine. I get super, super tense, which makes her giddy. Um, (laughs) But it's great fun. Do you it's feed off each? Fun. Do you feed off each other's kind of kind of vibes? At the end, are you quite happy to put the lid down, back in the box, and go? Phew, let's go and Definitely. let's go and do something less tense. Let's go and play out in the traffic for a bit because that will be fun. <laughs> I mean, um, is there that, anything else that you've played? Well, yeah, yeah. That, well? that one aside, I mean, we play code names an awful lot, just the two of us. So we kind code. of play it as a score attack. Um, yeah. Okay. Which have been really enjoying, but it, it's nice to just play more low key to stuff to switch off. I played Consulting Detective over the weekend for the first time in ages. I've heard um, some really really good things about Consulting Detective, but I've also heard it's quite it's harsh, and Sherlock Holmes is as condescending as you can get. Yeah, but he's, he's Holmes. On. Um, I mean, it's tough, but huh. it's not unfairly tough, and. Huh. I think there's still, excuse me, sorry. There's still pleasure to be gained from it. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not good at it, it's the, you can ignore the points entirely if you want and just lean into the fiction more and more and more and more. Yeah. Or you can decide I'm going to be as efficient at this as I possibly can and, and really put all of your time into, um, I should explain how the game works. I don't know if you if you we've not covered it. No, I mean we've not covered it. And I guess one of the things that we like to do, if um, yeah, I mean if you go, you know, okay, if you want the, to touch sh- on it a bit, yeah. The short version of this story is: if you have a spare thirty or forty quid, go and buy Consulting Detective. <laughs> um, but the way that it works is you have a series of case books, um, and at the start of the case book, it'll give you about two A four pages of. This is the setup for the mystery. And then it'll just abandon you. So it'll say, you know, my husband uh, was killed during the night, but the door was locked when I tried to go into him and I found him there and he was murdered. Yeah. Um, such and such a thing is a detail of where he works. And that that's literally all it will give you. And it'll give you a map of London. It'll give you a directory of names and where all of those people live. And it'll give you a booklet with grid locations. So you can look at the map of London and go, okay, well, the coroner's office is here. I want mm. to figure out 
what the actual cause of death was because it mightn't have been what she thought she saw. Yeah. And then yeah. you just look up the reference in the book for the coroner's office. Um, but it it doesn't hold your hand at all in a way that's liberating rather than terrifying. So the first time we played it, we immediately got uh, captivated by the idea of, oh, I reckon this is a red herring. Let's go and talk to such and such. Let's go and talk yeah. to such and such. And it was like the third or fourth clue before we actually went, maybe we should visit the scene of the crime. <laughs> um, I think it's this person. I think it's this person. Let's go and see who's been murdered. Exactly, first. yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of thing. The game's afoot. It's like, yeah. no, mate, you got to get your shoes on first. The game. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, not even any slippers as far as this game goes. But what I um, love about it is, like, <laughs> if you want to try and be really clever about it so sorry once you once you fi- think you figured out what it is mm. go to the end of the book and it'll ask you a series of questions like who do you think the killer is mm. and then some incidental information that could relate to motive or could relate to why you don't think it's some it's a different suspect or whatever else um and then you're given a score then based on how many clues it took for home to find out homes to find out and sometimes homes <laughs> just gets it so quickly that you'll never compete with it um, and then yeah. you're given bonus points for ancillary information that you found out so you don't have to just plow through it as quickly as you can yeah you can also go and take your time and try and have kind of more comprehensive information but also yeah. regardless of how well you score both ways of playing it are satisfying because you either get fleshed out with more story or you get to feel really clever um <laughs> i've heard people say that that the, the, the you, it's one of these games you can play you can play for the actual experience of playing it there's certain games you want to play and get through as quickly as you can um and this one kind of rewards you for both if you manage to get in quick enough and and, and mm. kind of solve the case then you get that satisfaction of when you when you find out how many clues it took Holmes to get it, you're not too far off. Yeah. Or you can completely um, indulge yourself in the story because there's things like newspaper clippings well, there is, and yes. things so like a, that. You can that day is newspaper for every casebook. And yeah. as the casebooks go on, they're obviously later in time. So some of the stuff from the earlier newspapers might also be relevant. Um, do you see so you yeah. get given like a massive stack of newspapers a map of London, oh. a directory, and then 10 different case books, and you just go and get Quite. on with it. So each of the things that is a kind of game mechanic, so to speak, is directly the thing that it's themed as. It's not like, this is a card that says, I look through the newspapers and maybe I draw a card to see what information I get. Yeah, yeah give yeah. me a bloody newspaper. It, it's you go. the yeah. best... This is going to make me some enemies, but I think it's the best boxed rpg i've played um because we assume an rpg will have to be fantasy tropes Mm. but i i don't think i felt more like the thing that i was pretending to be with any other boxed game than i did feel like a detective and consulting detective so, it sounds like you thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's absolutely magic. There's a few typos here and there, but there's nothing that'll put you hmm. off the game. 
Um, no, but it's, I mean, that's what's always attracted me is the fact that it's kind of like, well, there you go, you get on with it, and then report back when you think you're clever enough or you found what you've done, and we'll tell you, tell you what you could have done because um, the picture I've seen is it looks, it the artwork looks really decent. It looks really kind of fit for the period as well. Um, it just looks like a whole load of fun, and you're tempting me now to go out and and get it. Damn Should you, it, it, it <laughs> wobbles in and out of print as well. It's one of those yeah things that really irritates me as somebody who buys board games and really garners my sympathy as somebody who publishes board games. So it is sometimes difficult to track down. But if you come across a copy, get it. And it if hands. you have a couple a copy, um, once you've finished, you've finished. I mean, it's like reading. A book of short stories. Um, yeah, yeah. Just hand it to your friends, you know. Um, <laughs> sure or if you have love. a friend who has it, hustle that friend to finish it so you can steal it off them. <laughs> so there we go. That's Duncan Malloy saying, "Give, give consulting detective a good home. Yeah. Don't let it sit in the shelf. Let it free. Let well, it go I, out there." <laughs> I recently, uh, I at Gen Con last year, I managed to track down a copy because it's a new edition of a game that came out in the eighties. Yeah. And I managed to track down a copy of the original printing of one of the expansions, which hasn't subsequently been reprinted. Oh, okay. Um, and we had a friend over from Dublin, and I played one of those uh, missions with her, having not finished the main game myself. Um, and was able to just... Because I've realized I'm not going to have time to play any more of the expansion ones. No. For the next... Between now and the next time I see her, which is probably going to be in about four or five months. So right, I just okay. gave it to her. Um and yes, so long as she doesn't spill coffee all over it. Um <laughs> it's grand. You know, it's going to come back to me by the time I actually have time to put into it. Um, oh, that's pretty good. So yeah, that's if you have a copy of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective sitting on your shelf, which is not being played, um show it some love and let it <laughs> let it be the game that it was always meant to be by which i mean let somebody who's going to play it play it no i've said this before there's nothing worse than a board game that hasn't been played yeah. you know they're not video games you're not you, there's not there shouldn't be a pile of shame scenario here you know yeah. if you've got them let somebody else have a shot at them because they will love you they will love you for it yeah. is there is there anything else and you said you've got a collection so do you buy i mean are you one of these people that is continually going out and getting more and more games to i guess to to does it help you in your job if you are surrounding yourself by kind of what's happening in the games or by playing lots and lots of games well i do um, yeah i mean by by virtue of it you have to keep up on what's going on to a certain extent um but you mm. can't like you can't play everything there's just too much there's yeah too many games being released so i'll tend to i mean thirsty maples is here in oxford which is the board game cafe i'll tend to go down there quite a bit and just play a bit of new hotness every now and again um <laughs> i'll get a chance to play stuff at gen con and spiel and i'm fairly heavy on the convention circuit i've been to three or four of them in the states yeah um do you get to go out and about to I'm, these things then are you yeah are you yeah well all the time yeah it, yeah and it's job? great it's great but it's I, I feel like i spend nearly as much time on the road as i do in the office um huh. but so I wish I had more of my work time to dedicate to actually making the games and less of them to selling the games, but that's just life. Uh, 
Yeah, um, well, I mean, if you don't sell the games and you can't make the games, exactly, it's exactly, yeah, no, it's it, it is what it is. Cycle. But, so but what, the stuff, as for the stuff that actually makes it home from the office, because I store a load of games in the office, but the stuff that actually tends to make it home is stuff that'll either work well with two players uh-huh. or stuff that is really approachable. Because when I get home and I sit down to play games, I either want uh, something really atmospheric. Or yeah. I want something really relaxed. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to play the big, heavy stuff in my spare time because I, you know, I, I it's my job. It's nice to be able to come home to a job, <laughs> yeah. you know? you got to stare at mechanics all day from nine to five. You don't want yeah. to come home and stare at another 84-page kind of rule book. Exactly, um, yeah. So when it comes to, like, looking at games that you like, is there stuff at the moment that you've maybe seen that you've thought, hmm, actually a slice of that would be quite nice or do you have so many games coming in that you can you 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 get to play anything i take it like obviously with you going to the conventions a lot of the stuff that's out there now you have seen or you might have even kind of sampled i'm guessing some of it yeah some of it um i mean there are always cases where somebody pitches a really good game for us and it's just Mm. not right for us, you Mm. know? So there are games out there that I've seen on Kickstarter that I've turned down as a publisher that I will probably pick up as a player. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just by virtue of, you know, there's only so many games we can put out or we're kind of building a reputation for having a certain style of game in some ways. Yes. Um, or a certain ethos at least and I have to publish stuff that fits within that ethos now if you talk to the sales reps who work for Osprey they will argue that it's lunacy because we put out so many games and they're all so disparate Yeah. Um, but at least in the back of my mind there is a kind of connective th- tissue through all of them which speaks to how the games are approached and how we've put them together and the reasons why we've chosen these ones and why we've put these ones together so you get something like uh Olden's ravens which is quite a light little two-player racing game um yeah quite tactical and then you have something which was the next release after it which was the ravens of three sahatri which was could not be more different for still being quite a small two-player game um it's like a co-op asymmetrical um how would you even describe it's almost like a romance game okay um where one player is uh in a coma and having her memories be destroyed by these demon ravens and the other player is trying to wake her up so uh you're drawing cards from the deck that represent her memories and and kind of providing her with access to them by building them into a puzzle in the middle of the table but you yes. have a bit of a push-your-luck element because if you draw too many, the ravens will start to appear and start to eat cards and remove them from the game entirely. And then if so, you this the, is this is quite a new one, isn't it? This is yeah. I'm this this one came out in May, yeah. Um, and then the other player, uh, Ren, is trying to wake up, so she has a bunch of face-down cards which she has to make into sets, mm-hmm. but she can only take cards from the puzzle in the middle of the table that uh, Feth, the player who has access to the deck, has made. Um, so she's when she's taking cards from the middle of the table, she's 
kind of trying to say because uh, the the sets the numbers of the sets have to match up with her face down cards but she also has to make sure that the colors in the puzzle match the colors in her face down cards so if she's taking a red two out of the center of the table hypothetically is she saying i needed a two or mm-hmm. i need there to be no reds in the puzzle because that doesn't match what i've got yeah yeah and at first yeah. it seems quite obtuse and it can seem like the one player who only gets to just draw a single card on her turn is is quite kind of uninvolved but that player has a world of work to do with a very limited uh selection of actions um and we also just to, to even more densely complicate what is ultimately a 40 card game um we put a little legacy system into it whereby the level of difficulty of the game will rise to match your own level of ability. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yes, the first time you beat it, which is hard, um, you open the first sealed envelope and you get a little bit more of the story of the characters and the game gets a little bit harder. Do you think um, Legacy is the way forward for that some people are trying to grasp with board games and... um, do you think that's kind of what a lot of people are shooting for with after the success of Pandemic Legacy? Or, um... I mean, Legacy isn't necessarily a new thing. The way that it's approached in Pandemic Legacy and in Risk Legacy is. Um, but I mean, it is, it is a destructive campaign system. And it's fair to say that what's in the Ravens of Three Sahashri is, is like a micro campaign system more than a micro legacy system yeah but it does change some of the core underlying rules of the game so legacy felt like the better word to put in it Uh um but i mean i think it's going to change what some games would become but it's not going to consume all games no i don't think everybody will like a legacy game i think the actual term legacy in some ways can put people off because i've known of people who wouldn't play a legacy game quite simply because they like a game as it is with its set rules with its set you know how they're going to play it yeah and and they don't want to rip up cards or they don't want to write stuff on cards or they don't want stickers and stuff like that but i guess that's how some people play i mean on average i I get that but i mean ultimately like it's going back to hero quest like it's a campaign system at the end of the day yeah um and while the destruction is a really really fun in the moment element oh. like you don't having gotten most of the way through pandemic you don't really have to destroy any of it i and if you, <laughs> you just, just put them on the one side, can't you? If you just want to play Vanilla Pandemic, yeah. you can still play Vanilla Pandemic with all of the components you've got at any stage along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, while I understand, particularly in an industry where stuff goes out of print so regularly, yeah. while I can understand people's fears about kind of being able to play it in the future, uh-huh. for me, my fear would be you know, is there a chance this experience will disappear more than, you know, this experience is finite and therefore somehow inferior. I mean, but I come from theater background, so of course I'm going to have that opinion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, but then on the other side of it, how many times do you actually play a board game that you own? 
I mean, I've got a shelf full of board games. Me, you know, Colin's got a shelf full of board games, and one of the reasons, funnily enough, one of the reasons that we do the the we do the podcast is quite simply when me and Colin are talking, we have selected a couple of games to play. Now they're not necessarily games that we choose sometimes it's a case of i've had this game so long that i am embarrassed that i haven't played it before yeah. and so you know that's why we that's why one of the reasons why the series is there in the first place it's like you know last time we played um, we picked like taj mahal and um, we played picked um galaxy defenders now the reason's quite simple we both had those games for probably the best part of over a year now and neither <laughs> of us neither of us have actually got them off the shelf because what's happened is that other games have come in and we've been playing you know pixel tactics we've been playing kind of you know white chapel and things like that that have come along which have just seemed a little bit more exciting at the time but I know exactly um, what you mean I'm, i've got you know a copy I mean? of arboretum that is burning a hole in my desk yeah exactly and so that's why we said you know when we pick when we pick the games that we're going to play we're not necessarily picking them from a we have to play this game we're yeah. more picking it from the case it's a slight slant on how we say it which is you know we we have to play this game because otherwise what's the point in having it you might as well just sell it on to somebody else who is going to get you know kind of good use of it Take which is why you know you know yeah you, know, you, you might as well you might kind of might as well and it's so, like hmm. no it's because i i think about this a lot and it varies from game to game that we publish hmm. but um when you're buying a game Mm-hmm. Some people are buying an object, and some people are buying an experience. So, to some people, I am—they are buying the the beautiful components and the really gorgeous artwork, and the miniatures, or the nicely finished wooden pieces, or this gorgeous looking box, or whatever else. Well, and size. Less, are... I mean, size comes into that, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. That's a that's that's an overall kind of that's a beautiful looking game. Just stunning. And other people are buying. This will improve X amount of time that I spend with my friends. Yeah, exactly. And realistically, in board games, everybody is somewhere along the spectrum of those two, and both of those play into all of their buying decisions. But uh-huh. I think the the strongest argument I've seen against legacy and you see it predominantly on something like board game geek is the people for whom the object trumps the experience or the people for whom the idea that the experience is not repeatable means it's an inferior experience and while i understand those people's points of view i don't necessarily think that they're correct yeah, well, it's kind of a case of why would you read a book or watch a film if you knew that after that you would never be able to watch the film or read totally. the book again without having some kind of uh, former knowledge of it. Yeah, you know, so why, why of, own yeah. DVDs if you're only ever going to re-watch the film once every five years? Like, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, everything that you have is on is on sale on the site, you know? Yeah, um, and the shipping rights from the site are really reasonable. <laughs> You're not allowed to advertise. <laughs> that bill, that bill, get cut out. <laughs> it won't. I'm only joking. You know, uh, go, go, he's advertising on the site. He's not. Um, <laughs> this is, I guess, this is a this is a question that comes up. You know, the the, the last couple of guys I spoke to, you know, John John Gilmore, 
Eduardo Baraf, um, Matt Gilbert, um, they and even Jeffrey Greer, who was the first, you know, the first guest that we that we had on. Yeah. Um, they've used Kickstarter as their primary kind of way to get to market. Um, what's your, I mean, what's your guys' view on it? Because is that, I mean, you know, we haven't used Kickstarter because, to be honest, we haven't needed to. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that we never will, but it'd have to be something different to our bread and butter if we were going to approach it. Like, we would have to have a very, very good reason to go down that route and not uh-huh. the standard publishing route. And I mean, part of the reason for that is the nature of the type of company that we are. Like we're part of a book publishing company who has a long history, who has long established relationships with retailers. Yes. And who already has the kind of customer base and supply chain. You've got the, your route to market. I exactly, mean, yeah. So we, Matt, we don't yeah, need it as yeah. such. And I think it would no. be... And again, unless we had a very good reason, I don't think we would need to take that other route to market. Um, yeah. Well, so I, I, I think Matt, Matt Gilbert said to us that one of the reasons that they are, they're looking at Kickstarter just now, but one of the things they are looking to go towards is building up the kind of the, the, the kind of the route through the suppliers instead, basically. Yeah. So they, they've, they, 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 I think they are looking to get what you already have, which is you have that kind of the route to market and the ability to, to kind of go out. Because for you know there is there's the part of the business you you obviously deal with the board games and the car game side yeah. of things, but you you're also responsible for um, Frostgrave, if I'm right. And uh, yeah, we do Frostgrave. We do the books for Bolt Action. We do a yeah. huge chunk of wargame stuff um, that I'm not directly involved in. But yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the strength of. Osprey's war game output that got Osprey Games created as an imprint in the first place and that in turn has created the opportunity to work on board and card games. So yeah, without uh-huh. without the war games we wouldn't be we wouldn't even be at the races. Yeah. But I guess it gives you the freedom to be able to in terms of risk to be able to say, I can actually let's try and put this out here and see what see what happens. Because you can put it kind of out there, can't you? I well, guess it means we the... can we can back ourselves a little bit as well. We can take a punt on a print run because yeah. it's not coming directly out of our own pockets. That being part of a bigger company means if we don't sell that extra five hundred copies, it's not going to cripple us. You know? Yeah, um, yeah that's cool. Yeah, I'm not going to be happy, but I'm not going to be out of a job. Um, and that it it is that opportunity. I think that's the thing that the direct market gives you that Kickstarter doesn't unless you build in direct market relationships afterwards, which is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sustained regular sales across a period of time. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be proven wrong. And in fact, as I think of it, Cards Against Humanity is is the uh, kind of exception that proves the rule in some ways because that continues to do better and better and better and better and better. Yeah. But... The there are quite a lot of Kickstarter games which fade away, not because they're not good games, but because they're not in the ecosystem much anymore. Oh no, I know that. There's games that you run. I mean, you get 
you 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 build up your campaign, you put it down as you know fifteen thousand to get the campaign up and running. You fund very well. You fund up to fifty or sixty thousand pounds, but you are at the end of the day, you're only making fifty or sixty thousand pounds worth of product. And unless you're then able to push that into kind of retailers and things like that, you 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 know your game will could be the best game ever, but it might kind of sit where it is and be. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah, I've got a copy of that, and you end up kind of maybe floating about kind of eBay and Amazon of this world if you if you're kind of you're kind of lucky. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, intent obviously kicks. You know um. Kickstarter will be suitable for some um, people who are wanting to find out about your latest game. Um, this is quite exciting. Escape from Cold Its. <laughs> Go and tell us about Escape from Cold Its, Duncan, because oh, you know we've been doing the pre, we've been been doing the pre kind of Cold Its build up for <laughs> for the last forty five minutes. So. Okay, well, I mean, this is a. This is a UK podcast. We don't need to explain what Escape from Colditz is, do we? No. Okay, good. No, no we don't. So we're no, bringing Escape a... from Colditz back, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's coming out next month. Uh, we're having a pre-release at Spiel, which is next week now, which is terrifying. That's so soon. Right. Oh, God. Um, and then it's officially out the end of next month. The end of this month. So is that the end of the October? End of, end of October. Yeah. So that'll be either in a couple of days or a couple of weeks away, depending on when. Yeah, depending, depending on when, when this, this comes out, really. Um, <laughs> check Amazon, and you can probably get it by the time you hear my voice. Um, but it's it's something I'm really, really glad I've had the chance to bring back. You know, um, it's such an iconic bit of gaming history. So we wanted to once we realised we had the opportunity to bring it back into existence yeah um i suddenly became quite once i got over the initial excitement i don't want to say nervous but careful because <laughs> no more than here request means a lot to you and i yes cold it means an awful lot to a very large amount of people and when you're dealing with a new edition of a game like that, a game that was so iconic and so widespread. Yes. Um, and a game whose memory has kind of been untarnished by virtue of it being unavailable for so long. Then you really, really have to be sensitive to people's history with the game, not just the designer's history, but the audience's history as well. Yeah. So yeah. what I wanted to make sure I did when we were looking at how we were going to approach it from a kind of production point of view and an art direction and design and then mechanical design. I wanted, I didn't want to change the core of what it was. I didn't want to change its heart, you know. Um, I wanted to give people something that felt like the best version of the thing that they remembered did you find yourself either second guessing yourself when you're going through kind of notes and going through ideas on mechanics and stuff like that did you because there was such a legacy to excuse the pun oh all the time did you find you kind of sitting there going 
Now, um, what would you know? What would Major Pat Reed have done? Kind of and <laughs> luckily enough, done, you know? and I know this is. Um, I was blessed. Um, I know this sounds ridiculous, but Pat Reed designed it. Um, but yeah. Pat Reed co-designed it with Brian Degas, who was a very close friend of Pat's. Um, they were both married to sisters at one point, and uh, Brian actually wrote the Colditz TV series that was based on Pat's autobiography. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. And it was off the back of that TV series and Brian and Pat working together off the back of that that uh, Brian suggested Pat develop the board game. And Brian was the first person to kind of pitch it and Brian came up with the uh, kind of omnidirectional movement at the time and some of the kind of core concepts and core mechanics and then let Pat give it its feel and its um, degree of simulation. To the extent that um, Pat decided to make it roll and move after the fact. It wasn't initially a roll and move game. Okay. Because uh, even though that was kind of the prevailing wisdom at the time, and I was really surprised when I heard that, and it was because Pat wanted luck to play a large factor because that's what his experience was. Yeah. You know, he wanted to simulate the feeling of being in Colditz rather than the literal reality of being in Colditz. Yeah, and that just yeah. meant sometimes you can have a really good plan and just be unlucky. Or sometimes you can just have a fluke and absolutely get out. Yeah, and yeah. it will always trend towards planning and cooperation, giving you the results you need, but you can't always rely on it. Um, and Brian is still alive. Um, and Brian and I have formed quite a close friendship over the last year and a half or so, two years. Um, So I was in a fortunate enough position of not having access to Pat, but having about as close to Pat as you can get in one of his closest friends who co-designed the game to him or with him. So every single tweak we talked about or balancing change we considered or mechanical effect that we were thinking through once we'd play tested it a little bit I would literally just sit down and call up Brian and we'd speak for hours and hours and hours at a time and just (laughs) talk through the reasons why we were thinking of making the decisions we were making and whether or not they were justified in terms of what Pat originally wanted the game to be Yeah. so there's some little elements that just would have been in the spirit of things he wanted to do but that wouldn't necessarily have occurred to him there yeah. were one or two tweaks, particularly to the way that the tunnels work, whereby what Pat originally intended was not necessarily what was conveyed in the rulebook in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, in that case, we changed the rule from Brian's end rather than from my end. Um, and it just allowed us to take kind of small incremental steps towards a version of the game that still feels the same as the original, um, but is just slightly tweaked and slightly tightened here and there, um, partially to keep the playtime slightly shorter, partially to kind of just get to the action slightly more quickly. Yeah. Um, 
and that has I've been as hands off as I can be because that's so we talked earlier about people wanting experiences and wanting products yeah yeah and yeah. the experience that people want when they played Colditz is the experience that they've that at least for a certain degree of the market um the people who grew up playing it they want to be able to recapture that experience so Absolutely. my yeah. job is not to change that experience it's no. to highlight it and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that i can change in the place where we can really really add to the experience that people are having is in the sense of having a really beautiful object so uh, um uh. it's just really gorgeous it's big and it's heavy <laughs> the board is oversized um we've given everything we've tried to give everything a feel of either inspired by pat's uh, autobiography or inspired by the original edition of the game so because yeah. um, there is a there is like a there is like you've got the history I'm just reading this you've got the history book in there you've got replicas of some of the artifacts from the prison yep you've got a hundred illustrated cards and you've actually got 56 wooden playing pieces yep. for those that aren't familiar with you know with the game itself um how would you describe it if somebody says, oh, this looks interesting, how would you describe it to somebody who's maybe looking at it for the first time? What could they expect when they open the box, get the pieces out, read the rule book? Kind of what kind of game would they be expecting to play if they haven't played it before? Um, it's a semi-cooperative prison escape simulator where the prisoners are the good guys. Yeah. Um, so it's a kind of tactical game whereby you were uh, a kind of shockingly historical, historically accurate tactical game, whereby you're playing uh, what were known as escape officers. So in Kolditz, which was the Nazi prison camp, where they sent all of the prisoners of war who had escaped from other Nazi prison camps um, to confine them in what they thought was their highest security location. Um there were so many escape attempts uh, because there were so many different allied nationalities stationed there, um, prisoned there, that each nationality eventually nominated an escape officer who would coordinate their own nationalities' attempts yeah. and compare notes with the other nationalities' escape officers to make sure no two escape attempts accidentally outed each other as <laughs> very like nearly happened on a number of occasions them. literally where you go <laughs> so so the i'm escape going through officers... the laundry chute where are you going you're going through the river i'm not doing that we were going to do that tuesday well you can't do that tuesday we were going to do that tuesday kind of thing that's an almost literal description of what used to go on except it used to be over the period of weeks rather than a period of days <laughs> um so the history of it is absolutely amazing but what mm. it what plays out in practice is that um, you have a group of prisoners of your nationality um, mm. and how many prisoners you have depends on how many players are playing. And you can send your prisoners to different areas of the prison to fabricate the types of things you might need for an escape. So you can forge a key in the dentist's office. You can... Um, go to the chapel to try and create a bit of rope and each piece of rope will allow you to get down a 30 foot drop 
So yeah. to be able to get out of one window of the castle and then across the courtyard and then down another drop, you might need three pieces of rope. Um, and you're kind of slowly moving around, gathering equipment and planning your routes as the guard is just trying to keep an eye on everybody. <laughs> and as soon as one person makes an escape attempt, suddenly activity will tend to explode across the board because yeah. each of the prisoners has an individual win condition of just get two of your prisoners out. Uh-huh. But realistically, none of you are going to get very far unless you're helping each other to out with the guards slightly because your highest chance of escape comes from the discard the guards being distracted by somebody else's escape attempt. Yeah, okay. okay. So it it's semi-cooperative in the true sense, not in the sense of like, there's a traitor and he's secretly working against you, but in the sense of I need to accomplish something. And in order for me to have any chance of accomplishing what I need to do, I need to give you a leg up in accomplishing what you're trying to do as well. Um, there's right. a real there's a real passion in your voice when you're talking about it. I mean, the I think the last time I heard, well, the times I hear about this is when you're talking about people who have taken the time the blood, sweat, and the tears to design their own game. Because you can yeah. tell there's an emotional investment kind of in your voice, which is... Um, and I've spoken to quite a few people involved in game design. Not of us, not all, all of them on the podcast, but yeah. um, you can really tell that this is this means probably a little bit more to you than the kind of the normal kind of maybe the potential other jobs that you've been involved in. Well, I get... I get really involved in this. Um, and particularly in cold, it's because I've put so much work into it over such a period of time. Yeah. It's, we've really just tried to fine tune every decision that we've made. Um, is this like a real labor of love for you now? Is yeah, this be it is. When it is. You know, and it's kind you... of become, um, I feel like I've become kind of emotionally involved in the game's history as well because it's so real um i mean i'm literally at this point like i'm talking to brian mm. who was friends with all of the escapees from cold it's because he became quite close friends with pat yeah and out of that developed relationships with most of the british escapees uh-huh. um and i i've had this opportunity to be part of this quite important part of British games history um, and I I'm that's both really exciting um, but also kind of a responsibility as, as well yeah um, and I don't want to great, with great 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 game designing comes great responsibility yeah. I bet they never asked you that question at the interview no. so Duncan how would you feel about getting yeah. involved with designing um, a re-release of of what could be considered a very very important game in British gaming history, and you're like that. Mm, is this a trick question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, this was being developed alongside D and D. Yeah. So it's to play it now. You think, you, you know, oh, this is just a game design, or this yeah. is a game of its time. But this game was so so far ahead of its time, in a time when most games were just edging out of roll and move around a board kind of Monopoly, Snakes and Ladders, Ludo, Variants. Aside from 
you know, you have your classic, you have your backgammon, your cribbage, your chess, your card games. You have your kind of iconic games that have lasted centuries. Yeah. In terms of contemporary game design, um, there was almost nothing like this out there. And mm-hmm. while there were a lot of simulations, um, there was nothing that does what Colditz was trying to do and what I'm subsequently trying to do in all of the games that I work on, which is simulate an atmosphere, you know? Yeah. yeah. And and it was being designed by the person who best knew that atmosphere and best knew what it was that he was trying to capture. Yeah. So for him to be able to go, this is the thing, this is the thing that best, these two dice together is the thing that best captures that tension for me. And then for me to be able to look at that and engage in that in a in that kind of history in a genuinely meaningful way whereby I can go, you know, I have an opportunity to clarify Pat Reed's intent with regards to how you get arrested in a tunnel. Mm. And I know that seems like a really <laughs> piddly thing. No. But it it meant a lot to him. And it means a yeah. lot to Brian. And as a result, it kind of means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, and I really needed to do really well as well. <laughs> I really <laughs> hope the bloody thing sells. I think it will. I mean, it's 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 beautiful. Peter Dennis as well, the uh, the artist. And um, Steve and Lisa, who are part of the production and design team on it, have just really poured their hearts into it as well. So it looks, I mean, it really looks... Um... beautiful, yeah. It looks fascinating and interesting, especially where where it is in kind of the history of the games. And we'll make sure, obviously, there's a link in the show notes. So if if people are, you know, ha- just you know, have a, have just a have just a quick look. Um, and it's on the site just now, and it's fifty pounds. Fifty quid. Which, yeah. Which I mean, that's standard fare for a for a decent game. You know, look yeah. at it this way: it's cheaper than one of those horrible console-type games, <laughs> and you're buying, you're getting involved in something that's kind of like a, a little bit of history, which is always, which is always quite good. Well, we wanted um, to go all out in it. Like the board is huge. There's all of the pieces are are wooden. The pieces are all color matched to the first edition. Oh, right, okay. color matched. Um. We've put in hidden stuff inside the box. We've um, taken the time to get the texture on the outside of the Red Cross box to match as closely as the texture of the first edition one as we could while still being sturdier. So it's not actually made out of that cheap card, but it feels like it is. It'll just (laughs) hold together for longer. Um, We've really gone all out on the, the look and the feel of it, you know. When you got, you got to the point when you finished it, and did you get handed, did you get handed a finished copy of it? Do you remember what happened when you, when they said, okay, this is it finished, this is it all done? Have you had your hands on an actual finished copy, ready to go out there? Yeah, we got a copy around the end of August, um, and I've sat down and played it subsequently, um, and I've sat down and played it with Brian. Oh and right, that okay. That was great. How, how was that? It was it was 
it was huge actually and i was i got i got more of a buzz from being able to send him a copy in the post and getting a phone call from him afterwards than i did from playing it myself <laughs> um but it's great i mean but i put like I'm particularly invested in this game because of the length of time that we spent really finessing it. But I do feel this level of excitement for everything we put out. You know, we really try and put this level of thought in across the board. You know, when I think of something like we were talking about the Ravens 3 Sahashri earlier. Yeah. um, We put that in a nice little embossed purple slipcase. That's a tiny, yeah. tiny little packaging, but it's really, really gorgeous looking because that felt like it was the right thing for that game. And similarly, like it came with a fixed rule set when when it came across my desk. Um, but being able to add in a level of increasing complexity made the game both slightly more approachable, but also gave it much more longevity. Um, and it meant that we were able to bake in story elements, which had been, this was originally print, like one of those limited print run, maybe 200 copy games in Japan. Yeah. Um, and there were these little story elements to it then, but we were able to kind of rewrite some of those story elements coming from quite a personal place and bake them into the core game itself. Um something like Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, um, which is a game whose atmosphere that I absolutely adore. I've heard a lot of good things about this game. I've, uh, there's a couple of people um, that I've been speaking to that, that, adore, um, that adore Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. Yeah. And it's one I've... Um, yeah, I've... I've had definitely a lot of people rant and rave about it, how 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 much good fun it is. You know? So we we um, changed. So it's a it's a horror game. It's like a hidden role game and a hidden movement game. It's basically Fury of Dracula, but there are four Draculas, and you don't know who's who. <laughs> um, <coughs> but uh, what we changed about that, we changed nothing mechanically about that. But we we gave them these kind of hard dry wipe map boards, yeah. so that everybody because it's quite a tense game. Everybody can kind of sit back in the couch around the room and just give each other side eye all of the time without <laughs> having us kind of without having to lean down on something to make their notes. Like yeah. we, we kind of put put the thought in on that level of how do people how do we maximize the atmosphere that this game already well, does it's... a good job of creating. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of allowing people allowing people to keep an eye on everybody without making it obvious that you're kind of keeping an eye on a kind of a central map. Yeah, at the kind of the same time, which yeah. is. And I mean, um, there was never a central map, but in in the original printing of it, which was printed um, printed in English by an Italian company, but it, it was loose sheaves of paper and pencils, right. and it was perfectly serviceable. It was still a really fun game, but it was. It meant that everybody's kind of leaning over and leaning down and focusing on nobody being able to see their thing. Yeah. Rather than A, being physically comfortable while they were playing the game, which is important. Um, and B, being able to focus on other people mm-hmm. more than you're focusing on the physical components. And just yeah. trying to get those out of the way as much as possible. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. So, basically you can see everything that we've spoken about tonight 
on the website, which is <laughs> ospreypublishing.com. If you go to ospreypublishing.com, you'll get there. If you go to ospreygames.co.uk, yes. so right. it's Osprey is O-S-P-R-E-Y games.co.uk, yep. it'll it'll bring you to the Osprey Publishing website, but it'll bring you directly to the game section of the Osprey Publishing website. And if you Google Osprey Games, there's a section you can select, which is board and, board and board card, card games, games. as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and we've actually got a pretty decent Facebook presence as well, where we put up news there fairly regularly. So, so we're, if you I take it, if you search what if you search Osprey Games on Facebook, Osprey you'll find Games you? on Facebook, yeah, you should track us cool. down. Cool. And the Twitters are you on the Twitters? We're on the Twitters. Uh, I don't know what our Twitter handle actually is. To tell you the truth, I'm well, let's, sure let's, it's Osprey Games. Let's do a live search. Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> grab your. I should <laughs> grab know your this. jackets, I'm ladies being and gentlemen. A bad let's marketing have a look. Here we go. Listen, I'm just springing this on you. I didn't expect <laughs> you to kind of like. There appears to be a couple. Uh, war games, board games, card games, uh, and dicing. It's and literally it just at Osprey at, Games. Okay, at good. At Osprey Games. Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. it might be, but I didn't want to shout it just in case. You're checking these things, aren't you? Because you wouldn't want to like say, no, it's definitely Osprey Games, and then people go to it, and it's something about big birds catching fish out of lakes. It is definitely <laughs> Osprey Games. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, if. Do you want people to be able to track you down, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just at Duncan Malloy on Twitter. So, yeah, go. if you want to either thank me or complain at me for what we've done to Escape from Colditz, by all means, give me a shout. But um, at the first, make sure you, you actually get the game first. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Read it, play it, then come to me with your feedback. You can only complain if you send me your receipt in the post. <laughs> <laughs> what we've done as well, like... Even though we put so much craft into making all of the tweaks, um, yeah, the game is what the game is. So, like, we we published our version of the rules, but the the original rules are still in the box. Um, we've we still printed those and included them. So, the game is still the game. And while we have made tweaks to the game that I feel increase the spirit of the game, you know, and yeah. really match the original heart that it was going for. And I've put a lot of time into making sure that no changes are made that don't really amplify that. Um, yeah. If you don't like it, you and, don't have to and use at it. The end of the day, at the end of the day, you have kind of got approval on the changes as well. It's all good. It's fine. It's been cleared off and stuff like that as well. Um, thank you very much for that. Thanks. Um, it's been great. Again, yeah. Escape from Colditz Castle. Um, check it out. Give it a look. It looks, you know, it's a classic. Um, however... If you want to keep in keep in touch with what we're doing, you can get us on Twitter, which is We're Not Wizards. You can get us on Facebook, which is We're Not Wizards. We're on Instagram, which surprisingly enough is We're Not Wizards. You can email us. You can email us. It's magic at we'renotwizards.com or .co.uk. But the main thing is that remember that... Um, we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Duncan? I, I don't believe so. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Take him to the interrogating room. Find out if he's a wizard. Listen, um, <laughs> thank you very, very much no for Good to um, talk to you, coming along tonight. It was, uh, it was, uh, f- it was fantastic. And uh, 
anybody wants to find out anything, check out the show notes. There will be numerous, there will be many, but they will definitely be there. But until next time, it is a goodbye from me, and it is a goodbye from the rather wonderful Mr. Duncan Malloy. Goodbye. Go- <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. Yeah. <laughs> we have maze of making you say goodbye. Um, <laughs> but that sounded more like Arnold Schwarzenegger than, you know, anything else. But, Close enough. Okay. <laughs> Ach, we'll leave it in. They'll never notice. <laughs> bye, for, <laughs> bye for now, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>